0: Okay, so I have thoroughly enjoyed reading Micah over and over and over and over again. And I think um, I've just been overwhelmed with how much there is in Micah that I could have gone. I could have taught a million different ways through the book of Micah um, and even looked at studies that we've done in the past through the minor prophets and just realized that there is just so much richness um, in these short books and minor prophets. And um, even overwhelmed, as I was looking through a study we did several years ago and realized, oh, we spent three weeks on this one book, and I have 30 minutes to talk about it. So I'm going to do my best to kind of just go through things that I thought were just really stuck out to me and things that the Lord just continually, as I read the book over and over, kept bringing to mind. Um, and so, Rose says I'm a gifted teacher. I've only not much taught. So, um, thank you, Rose. I think I've taught for Rose once. Um, so I'm gonna <laughs> twice. <laughs> so I'm gonna do um, the best with what the Lord has brought to mind. Um, and so the, on our outline, just to take note of it, I just kind of put some quick facts about Micah, and. Him as a prophet. Um, You can read through those. It just kind of gives you the time that he was um, prophesying to the people. And it's very important to notice that it was a time of great destruction um, and a time where he came in when destruction was already happening and was about to happen and Israel was kind of just a mess. Um, But the theme of Micah is judgment and forgiveness. And so just seeing those two both happening is just. I think, a sweet promise that we can even see continually throughout um, the Bible and history. And then just the outline of the book, we see the coming judgment, we see a coming deliverer, and we see God's indi- indictment and restoration um, all in the, these seven chapters. And so um, I just want to start out with the sin, the sin that brought the Lord to take Micah um, to this nation to tell them that judgment was coming. And it's been crazy because a big part of their sin was this, the false prophecies. Um, believing in false prophets, they had in many commentaries what they called a soft religion. And I feel like over the past week, I've in our community group, we're re- reading spiritual depression. And the chapter for this week we talked about was false prophecies. And then Buster on Sunday talked about false prophecies. And so I think just something that the Lord wants us all to just be aware of. Um, but sin in itself, Micah 1.9, gives us the state of Israel's heart. Um, and then in Micah 3.2, we see again the sin. But I think in sin in itself— um, sin is a matter of the heart, I think often um, we try to clean ourselves up on the outside. We try to get these like behavioral modifications, but really, we have to deal with the heart and that 's what the Lord kept trying with all these minor prophets. The Lord kept trying to say it 's with your heart, we have to deal with your heart, not just your actions and so God is really tired of this cycle, so I forget what number we 're on but The cycle of Israel, the sin pattern that it's in, the Lord is just kind of tired of it. And so we have the sin, and then the word's a conquest, and then we see repentance in the people of Israel, and then the Lord delivers them, and then they're living in freedom, and then yet they find themselves in sin again. And I think a big part of that is because they were never dealing with the heart issues um, of their sin. Um, So At the time of Michael, Micah, at the time of his prophecies, the people just had no fear of God, no fear um, of who he was, no fear in his character. um, And the Lord just longed for them to have that reverence for him. Um, And then they also, and I already said this, they were loving false prophets and loving their prophecies. They desired to be flattered and not reproached or rebuked. And they were willing to sacrifice truth for their own desires. And so as I thought about that more, it's like how often am I willing to sacrifice truth for my own desires? How willing am I to say, oh, it's okay. Like it's not that big of a deal. But yet truth is saying, like, be holy for I am holy. Um, I, think in, I think it was in the book that we're reading um, it just talks about how like, the people just had no care for God's holiness. They were just thinking that maybe God's law was going to change. Maybe it was just going to be, as time went on, maybe God's law was going to soften up. Um, But the truth is, God's law is consistent and it stays the same. Um, And God calls us to be holy people. And so in one of the sermons that I read by Mark Dever, he quotes, It is a dissatisfaction, disaffection for God and a greater affection for the things he has made. But then he also states, When a heart is twisted, no one should be surprised when it does evil. So I think the truth is our hearts are evil. And so we shouldn't be shocked when we need to be led to repentance. Um, our hearts are deceitful. So should I be trusting on my heart and my own desires? Probably not, um, definitely not. I should be going to the truth that the Lord has given um, given us in the scriptures. And so even thinking, processing through all this, I was like, what, what in my life do I have a greater affection for than God himself? Um, what are the false prophecies we are believing today? And so as I thought through that, and I think, and Buster even said this on Sunday, that these false prophecies kind of sneak in, and we just start believing them. And even in the past couple weeks, I've had lunches with friends, and they just look at me and sobbing, and they're like, Jordan, I don't know how I've gotten here. But it was like believing a lie, believing what the culture was telling, and we just slowly drift. And so how thankful are we for people like Micah and people in the church that can say, no, you need this truth. But for me, I was just thinking it's like often um, listening to the people as a single woman, they'll come up to me and they'll just be like, you know what? The Lord is going to send you a husband. He, you will find that right man. And it's like, if that was my hope, how far off from the gospel could I get? Marriage is a good thing, but am I promised that in scripture? Not necessarily. And so, I think looking to the things that I'm finding my hope in should be nothing but the word of God and how that things that we do find our hope in can just lead us down little rabbit trails if it's not truth of Jesus. And I think often, as women, we um, feel just the constant need to buy in to what the culture tells us we should be, whether it's how we should look or how we should present ourselves or... Um, how our homes should look or how we have to have all our ducks in a row to have people into our homes. And if my home doesn't look like pottery barn, then I am ill-equipped to be a hostess. Um, and I feel like it's so easy to buy into these lies and you miss out on the goodness of community and all that the Lord has for you in um, linking arms with other believers. Um, and even, I think, I mean, it tears, I think, women down as people when we are living to the standard of the world and not the standard of Christ. Um, because he says that there's freedom in him and he has goodness and he doesn't want his His daughters to be living for something other than himself. And so the people of Israel find themselves in I think, very similar to what we find ourselves in today, just a culture of wanting more, a culture that says, I need this, and that kind of ties into the greed that Buster was talking about on Sunday. So we live so often for what's next, or, um, oh, the new iPhone came out, I need it. I need the newest um, electronics. I need, I need, I need. But really, the Lord just wants to say, you need me. Like, here I am. Um, take me. Um, and so I think often we get stuck in that trap of living for the culture standard and not for the standard of Christ. And then also the people of Israel at this time, Judah, um, had just— a misunderstanding of God's character and so the people it's in um, let's see, yeah, Micah two seven, it says, Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do not my words do good to him who walk uprightly? And so they're questioning Has the Lord grown impatient? is he not a patient God? Why would he bring this destruction to us if he's a patient God? And so there was a misunderstanding of who God was in his character. They assumed just because they were God's chosen people that they did not have to live in this holy life that he had called them to. And so they just believed that they could live however they want as, because they were chosen. And This reminded me so often of just uh, since being in college ministry, I feel like we run into this a lot, that um, students, even I worked at CSU for five years, and so this idea of I'm a Christian, but that means nothing to my everyday life. I can claim Christ, but that doesn't mean that the way I live has to be completely and radically um, different. And so... Even in thinking about that and the frequency that it happened in what I like to call the nominal believers at CSU, it fears me that I think it happens so often in our churches. People are saying and claiming the name of Jesus, but yet it doesn't affect the way that they live, the way they act, the way they speak, the way they relate to coworkers, the way they um, raise their children, the way they interact with spouses or friends, um, and so the people of, at this time, they um, even found themselves not being able to trust their neighbors or not, um, not even, desi- they're quarreling with their families. And I think a lot of it is because their attitude towards who God was and himself. If they believed in God's true character, then they would know that they, would, they were called to that same character. And so um, one of, another sin was just, a lack of understanding of who God was in himself. And I think, so for the first three books of Micah, I think we just read of their sin, of their judgment that's coming and just a warning. Um, And I think, I mean, in reading that, and even I think we've said it in the past, it's kind of scary when we sit and it's like, this sounds so much like what we're living in right now. Um, But then we get to chapter five, And we read about the Redeemer, um, the Savior. And so, and I think, I was talking to someone yesterday, and it's such a sweet gift that we can read Micah, an Old Testament minor prophet, and clearly see the Savior coming to redeem his people. And so, starting in... um, I mean, really, verse two. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephr- um, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore, he shall give them he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Um And so we see that there's gonna come, born of a virgin, um a savior. Someone who is going to dwell um, secure, and he shall be great, and he shall go to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. So, in a time of great turmoil, um, the Lord is coming to say, There is one who is coming who will be your peace. And um, what a sweet glimpse of our Redeemer. And so, looking at the word peace, um, just um, Cross references sent me to Ephesians two, fourteen through sixteen, and that says, "For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinance." Ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in, pl- in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to one, to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. <clears throat> um. And so that right there, I mean, it's New Testament, speaking of Jesus, he's going to break down the walls of hostility, he's going to bring peace, he's going to make two become one. He's gonna reconcile us all back to God. And so at a time when sin was um, everywhere and unrighteousness was the norm, um, God sends hope. Um, God says that there's going to be peace. You are going to be reconciled with me. Um, You will be, I will break down the walls of hostility. I will break you down. I will, um, in a, Micah, we see he's going, he gives us a list. I will, cut off, um, I will cut off your horses from among you and destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all of your strongholds. And I will cut off the sorceries from your hands. And, all you, and you shall have no more tellers of fortunes. And I will cut off your carved images and your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down to, to no more to the work of your, your hands." And so we see that the Lord is willing and he is going to cut them, like leave them barren with nothing, but all for the sake of bringing Jesus and saying, I am your hope, I am your peace. The things that you are trying to find hope and peace in, they leave you empty. They leave you with nothing. And now I'm going to literally cut you off from all of these things that you're finding your hope in so you can know the true hope and the true peace That's Jesus. Um, And so what a sweet reminder that the Lord is bringing redemption for these people. And then living today, we know that we have been redeemed. And so even I'm baffled at myself when it's like, sometimes you're just like, why can't I get it? Just why can't I understand that I am forgiven? I am redeemed. And why do I find myself every day continually Doing the things that we don't want to do, and um, not doing the things that we know we should do, and I think it's—I think it's because the Lord continually wants us. He continually wants to wants to draw us to Himself, and so we're still living in a sinful world because the Lord has purpose for us here, and the Lord continually wants to show Himself to us and show us His character of Redeemer and Savior and peace and hope, and so. While I'm living in sin, may I continually run to repentance and continually get a greater understanding of the cross. Um, and that, that's what ultimately brings freedom, and that is how we will be sanctified for the day of glory. And I think another, yeah, another quote that um, <clears throat> I forget, uh, several different um, sermons that I was reading, but... Um, just the real, the realization that chapter five, there is no greater news that these people could have ever heard. Um, And they were hearing that a substitute is coming to save you. um, And that your sins, to acknowledge your sins, your sins require this substitute. And that substitute was going to come and live. And in Ephesians, it, we, we saw this, but, and die on a cross. He was going to take on all of my sin, die on this cross, and it was all on my behalf in the sins that I have committed, um, in the sins that he knew that I would commit. And so, just what great news. Um, what great news that is in a book of judgment. Um, and so, that leads us to, um, There's hope. Um, And we see glimpses of hope in chapter four, and then all of chapter seven, I feel like, is just hope for what is to come. Um, So in chapter four, we see the image, and then even, and we read it in chapter five, just the image of a shepherd rescuing his sheep from captivity. Um, And what, like even that, it's like Jesus is our great shepherd, and we are sheep that need that great shepherd and so, and then Micah 7, we see that the Lord brings light. Um, so Micah 7, 7 through 13 says, But as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God, for the God of my salvation. My God, will, my God will hear me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me. He will bring me out to the light, and I shall look upon his vindication. Then my enemy will see me, and shame will cover her who said to me, Where is the Lord your God? My eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. A day for the building of your walls. In that day, the boundary shall be far extended. In that day they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt and from Egypt to the river, from the sea to sea and from mountain to mountain. But the earth will be desolate because of its inhabitants for the fruit of their deeds. And so we see that um, God is bringing light to these people. Um, and so there's just several different um, Psalms, Psalm thirty-seven, twenty-four. 24, um, thirty seven twenty four says though he fell, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand um, thirty seven six says he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday um, psalm one twelve um, verse four says, Light dawns in the darkness for the upright, he is gracious Merciful and righteous. So we see that the Lord is bringing light to these people. The Lord is the light amidst the darkness. God is our light. And so even now, there it goes, Um, even now we see that there is hope in our darkness. When we look around and we see, um, I mean, everyone's talking about politics right now, and everyone's like, oh, it's so dark. Um, But really, we live in a, with great hope because we know that light is coming. Um, we will have a new earth, and we will all be redeemed. And so we don't have to be cast down because we know and we serve a God that says that hope is coming, and there is true light to be celebrated. And, um, and we see many of these promises, even um, in Psalm 102, it says that the Lord— um, 102, verse 13. "You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is a time to favor her. The appointed time has come. So the Lord is going to bring favor back to Zion. The Lord is going to bring favor to His people. and that is um, great joy. So we don't have to live in a dark in the darkness and be cast down, because we know that God is returning. God is rebuilding, and he is reconciling his people to himself. Um, and then in Micah 7:18 through 20, we see, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquities and passing over transgression? For the remnant of his inheritance, he does not retain his anger forever, because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. He will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea, you will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham, as for you, as you have sworn to your fathers from the days of old. And so, we see that the Lord is faithful to His promises. Um, the Lord had already told the people to remember, remember what I've brought you from, remember when you were in captivity in Egypt, and I led you away from the Egyptians. Remember that I have redeemed your people. I promised Abraham a son and I brought him a son. Um, I promised Jacob um, sons that will multiply the earth. And he's done that and he's faithful. And then also just the fact that um, he delights in his steadfast love. So he was not bringing judgment and um destruction to these people because he was an because it, he thought it was fun um but he knew that in that his people would be brought back to him um and it is out of his love that he does this for his people um he is steadfast in his love and he desires his people to come to himself and so we see in the new testament where he um, says that he disciplines those he loves. Um, he wants us to be he wants us to be holy. He wants us to continually come to him. And so there may be discipline, but it's done in love, just as a father would discipline um, his own child. And then I also just like the truth that he will again have compassion. And so the Lord I often lack in compassion. The Lord never lacks in compassion. He looks at his children with great delight and has compassion on the state of their hearts. And He continually um, wants us to see that He is a loving and compassionate God, and never be fearful to come to come back, um, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter if we have believed in these false prophecies, no matter if we have lived for greed or for sensualities or whatever it may be. The Lord never wants his sheep to be too fearful to come back, but to see that he is a God that has plenty of love and plenty of compassion um, for his children. Um, And so in Micah 6, they're all told to remember. um, And God, in Micah 6, 8, very popular verse, but he... um, tells his people, he has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Um, and so even in that, um, like reading over that verse, and it's like, well, okay, like I can do, I'm going to try my hardest to do those three things, but even in that, because of the state of our heart, and because of the sin that we have in us, we are incapable of to doing justice and loving kindness and to walk humbly. We're incapable of doing those things with a pure heart. And so the Lord does those things for us, and he has been righteousness um, for us, so we don't have to be that perfect righteousness. Um, But he desires not our works. He desires not our sacrifices, but he desires you. He desires all of your heart. He wants your whole life um, he doesn't want life to be a checklist. He doesn't want life to be um, sought after the things that he has created and they are good, but he wants you to be after him. Um, and so, my question just okay, so this is scripture tells us to do these things. So, what does that look like today? How do we do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with, with God? And so what kept coming to my mind, I do these things when I'm clinging to the word of God, when I'm walking in community, and when I'm willing um, to hear truth and repent and run back to the cross. And so remember, when I can remember Jesus and all that he has saved me from and all that he is going to continually forgive me for, um, remembering that hope and remembering that He loves to do this. He loves his children. He loves to um, bring us back. And there was a quote in one of the things that I read, and it just said, Remember that God exalts his people as a means of exalting himself, and that this story is not about me. It's about him. And so the constant theme, as I read through Micah, was that these people just kept making things about themselves, and it wasn't about them at all. It was about God's glory. And so remembering that even my little story is not about me. It's about God receiving that glory that he deserves. It's about me exalting him. And so um, I'm gonna close a little differently than we have in the past, but um, for all of you moms and grandmothers, this is an excellent resource for your children or grandchildren. and so, it's called The Biggest Story Ever, and it's written by Kevin DeYoung, and it was written as kind of just like an, an Advent story for his children, um, to kind of, he wrote this story as they were celebrating Advent, and it's the story of Jesus throughout the Bible. So, very similar to the Jesus Storybook Bible, but shorter, and the pages are aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> um, not the Jesus Storybook Bible is it? they are too. Um, but, so it was a very good thing. It was a very good thing God was always rescuing his people, because it seemed that no matter how many times God saved his people, the Israelites were never quite safe from themselves. See, after God delivered his people from Egypt, he gave them a lot of commandments. This wasn't to punish them, but to help and protect them. They were good commandments, and if they obeyed the commandments, God's people would be blessed. There would be good there would be food and children, and long life and protection and a new home. It would be just like they were in paradise again. That's where God wanted to lead them all along, back to the garden. And if they didn't obey, there would be curses, just like the ones that fell on Adam and Eve and the serpent. As you might have guessed, the people didn't do so well obeying God's commands. After Moses and his helper Joshua died, they disobeyed even more. They ignored the most important commands. And when they did, and when they did work hard at some rules, like getting their sacrifices right, they didn't really obey those rules from the heart. They just checked them off their list and forgot about the more important commands. Not that God's people deserved it, but God finally God finally gave them their promised lamb. God did the work to get them in, but God's people didn't do the work to drive everyone else out. This caused a lot of trouble for the Israelites. They constantly had enemies to fight and worse, they constantly had to fight the temptation to be just like their enemies. Sometimes things would go well for Israel when they had a good leader and when they obeyed, but most often things went poorly. God gave the Israelites rules, but they didn't follow them. God made his dwelling among them, but they didn't act like they wanted him to stick around. God sent prophets, but Israel didn't listen. God provided priests, but the priests didn't know how to be holy. Later, God gave them kings, but the kings were a royal pain. Israel was a mess. Of course, God still had his promises to keep, but most days it was hard to imagine how anyone could save his, this stubborn people. It would, have to, it would have been even harder to imagine how the promised man could come from among this people. And so that's where kind of Micah leaves us, a hope of the promised man that's coming, and we see the destruction that Micah is living in. They had priests, but they were greedy. They had um, leaders, but they weren't living um, according to the the ways that they were teaching, and the people really didn't want to hear them. They just wanted to hear what they wanted to hear. But we see the promise that Jesus is coming, and so um, I'm going to end with reading chapter 10, and this is the hope that we can now live for um, today. So as you can tell, this story is a big story. In fact, it's the biggest story. It's a familiar story to some of us. It's a true story for all of us. But we haven't seen the end of the story, not yet. We live in the beginning of the end of the story that we are still in the middle of. We know it's not the end because we haven't made it back to the garden. We get glimpses of the garden here and there in our hearts, in our families, in the church. But anyone who loves this story longs to see the one who is the center of the story The snake crusher is coming back again to wipe away all the bad guys and wipe away every tear. He's coming to make a new beginning, to finish what he started. He's coming to give us the home we once had and might have forgotten that we lost. So keep waiting for him, keep believing in him, keep trusting that the story isn't over yet. God's promises never fail and the promised one never disappoints. One day we will see him, one day we will be with him, One day, there will be nothing but the best days, day after day after day after day. And forever and ever, it will be a wonderful time to be God's children in God's wonderful world. So, um, (laughs) we just see that there is a great hope to come. And there is no reason. There is reason now to see our sin, repent, and run to the cross and do it um, linked arms with community. So I'm going to pray and then announcements. Um, Father, I just do thank you for the truth of um, our Savior and Redeemer who is coming and praise you um, that you saw fit to send Jesus to redeem us um, from our sins, um, to reconcile us back to our King. And so I pray that today we can live in light um, of eternity, live with um, heaven on our hearts and on our minds. Um, so we will not forget the hope that is to come and the hope that we are currently living for. Um, so I thank you for people like Micah who are willing to go um, to darkness um, to bring light. And I thank you um, just for the constant reminder that your word um, brings to us and that um, you are our light and our salvation. Um, so I praise you and thank you for this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.